0: Hi, this is Ashley. And Maggie. And you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it. All while under the influence. could probably start by talking about why we want to do this podcast and kind of where the idea came from.
1: Yeah. Well, this was your idea, so why don't you tell (laughs) people why you came up with it, and then I can
0: say why I wanted to jump on board. Yeah, totally. I was just like, let me set this up so that I can talk some more. (laughs) Yeah, so I want to do this podcast mainly because a lot of times when I happen to have a beverage of alcoholic nature... Uh, one of the things I like to talk about are animals, and most of the time people seem to appreciate it, and I thought, why not find, use that as kind of an avenue to discuss animals and how they're really cool, but then also talk about their conservation and their threats, and hopefully get people more engaged um, in the natural world around us.
1: So when you mentioned this to me, I without hesitation said yes i'm in and i think i wrote you in all caps lock because i was totally down and that's because i'm also an animal lover and we're both conservationists we're both so pro environmental conservation sustainability mm-hmm. work i don't know you name it i actually have a necklace that I had specially commissioned for me that's of a Tasmanian tiger, Mm -hmm. which is also known as a thylacine, and that's an extinct animal. So I want people to know why animals are so amazing, and if we are not protecting them, realize that we could lose them. And so that's kind of like my little reminder. And I think this is a really fun way to do it because we're going to get goofy. And I can't wait to see what kind of animals we talk about because they're going to be like ones that people know about or have heard about. And some people are going to be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, for sure.
0: And not only that, but like hearing about animals that you may know of, and then just hearing about how there's thing. There's so many things about every single animal, and there's thousands of animals and right. thousands of facts that there's no way we could ever get to everything. Right, exactly. I mean, so even she's...
1: take, like, the elephant. Most yeah. people know that there's the African elephant, and they're being poached for their ivory tusks, but a lot of people don't realize that Asian elephants are also facing a terrible plight, but it is totally unrelated. It's mm-hmm. more like abuse and exploitation.
0: Yeah. So... There's, it could be really obvious, and people don't know. Yeah, and then there's, like, things like animals that, like, you see every day, like, starlings in the streets. Yeah. Those birds that everyone think are annoying, but then in real life, it was people who brought them here because mm-hmm. somebody tried to fill Central Park with all of the birds from Shakespeare, which, surprise, turned out to be a really bad idea, it's and now they're super invasive. They're everywhere. But at the same time, like that, like, who knew that? Every, every episode, was. we're going to
1: talk about...
0: At least two different animals.
1: You're going to pick one. I'm going to pick one. We're going to talk about them. And then at the end of every episode, we're going to pull from what we're calling the mermaid's purse. Yeah. It's a little grab bag of random animals that you've probably never heard of because we haven't even heard of some of them. And we're in the environmental field. So... Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, kind of on the fly. On the fly. What we think they might be, what we think we know.
1: Right. And what's going to be kind of cool is that's at the end of the episode, (laughs) and that's when we're going to be a couple drinks deep. So At
0: the bottom of the wine bottle. Yeah, hopefully. Okay,
1: (laughs) Okay, so do you
0: want to go first, or should I go first? I'll go first. All right. So I went with an animal that... People know exist, and, like, people are obsessed, but I feel like they're just obsessed because it's a weird animal, and they don't know why, all the other cool things about it, and I also, it's also kind of on topic, because, uh, <clears throat> getting a little personal, the past couple weeks, I had a couple first dates, and this is the animal I bring up the most <laughs> on first dates. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like, brought it up on Wednesday. Oh my gosh. It was two days ago, and I was like, I just... I just gotta share it. So
1: I know what this animal is, and that's why I'm laughing, because, like, of all creatures <laughs> to bring up most frequently.
0: <clears throat> Without further ado, my animal this week is the unicorn of the sea, or the narwhal. <clears throat> oh my god, stop! <laughs> you hit that so well! So, for our <laughs> listeners, Maggie just pulled a narwhal out of her backpack, <laughs> And, like, not, like, a picture of a narwhal or a figurine, but a full-stuffed animal of a narwhal. And This is um, my word, friends. She just made, oh, oh, thank God, now mm-hmm. I have a visual reference. It mm-hmm. is the cutest narwhal. But narwhals, um, as I mentioned, they are a whale. Their scientific name is Monodon Monosaurus. Wow, that That's like again. a dinosaur. Right? Monodon monoceros. Monasau- Monosaurus. Say that Mon- again when I'm not pouring wine. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've been pouring it away from the microphone. <laughs> but it's so loud because surface. it's like a copper cup that I gave you. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just going all in here yeah. with the pouring. No, go, you can top me off. No, I think we're doing good. <laughs> oh, no. <gasps> no, I knew this was going to happen. Oh. Tragedy I just, I just spilled wine on my narwhal. <laughs> Tragedy. Tragedy has struck. All right, so I'm gonna try this again. That's a pull quote. I just spilled wine on my narwhal. (laughs) I hate when that happens. Monodon monoceros, because that's how I would say, Uh, because if you think of like a rhinoceros. Monoceros. So, narwhals are um, that gray whale um, with the very long tusks, which is why they're also known as unicorns of the sea. So, monodon monoceros. Um, mono one and soros I, soros, I believe, is nose or horn mm. or nose, I think. So, we, that one kind of extension um, is where their taxonomy comes from. The cooler part of their name that I really like is that for narwhal, nar comes from the Norse wor- word nar, which means corpse. Because if you've ever seen a narwhal, they're kind of like this gray pigmented. Mm um, whale that people apparently thought looked like a drowned sailor, so they went with narwhal, which means, so it technically means corpse whale, um, which is, which is a fun fact to share on a first date, you know, in case it comes up. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's the animal we're talking about, because gray whales, um, they live up in the Arctic, they've got this really long tusk, They're from the family Monodontidae, which means one tooth. They are one of two whales in this family. Okay, I was curious. There's not a ton, and the name comes from specifically the narwhal, because their cousin does not have this. So their cousin is one of my other favorite animals, which is the beluga whale. And the beluga whale is that big white whale that you'll often see. A lot of times they end up in in sea aquariums because they're very charismatic. Um, They've got those big... Foreheads that look ridiculous. Head. They were featured in Finding Dory because they echo locate. They're um, known as the canary of the sea. Yes, the canary of the sea. They for sure will be on another episode. They will absolutely. Om- um, but there are some family characteristics. Um, so both the narwhal and the beluga whale don't have a dorsal fin. So the dorsal fins on the back, but belugas and narwhals have none because they live primarily under the ice. And they don't need them. And they don't need them. And if they had one, they'd get caught on the ice, which would not be good. So that's really cool. That's a family characteristic. And then another really cool characteristic is that their neck vertebrae aren't fused like other whales, mm-hmm. so they can move their head around. Oh. So if you ever, like, look at, a, like, a, dal- like a bottomless dolphin or a humpback yeah. whale, yeah. their whole body kind of moves, like, If especially if they want to look one way, they can't just move their head. Where a beluga or a narwhal can, you know, kind of look around, which, which is kind of why belugas are so charismatic, is yeah. because they can... Do you like that dog head tilt, within, right, like but in whale form? But yeah, so those are cool. That's uh, the cool cousin of the narwhal is the beluga. Um, but today it's all about the narwhal man. So like I said, they're Arctic whales. Um, they don't really leave the Arctic. They'll migrate between bays and into the open ocean, depending on the season. Um, but they never really leave it. They like to hang around Canada, Greenland, and Russian waters, which, you know, I would hang around Canada. Canada's mm-hmm. pretty cool.
1: I'd hang around Greenland.
0: They're not huge whales. They're actually relatively small. They weigh between 1,760 pounds to 3,530 pounds. That's very specific. It's very specific. So they're like car-sized. Okay. Not gigantic, not the smallest, but heavy. Heavy, yeah. Okay. Um, and they measure 13 to 18 feet in length. Okay. Um, and this is all without the tusk. We'll get to the tusk. The tusk is its whole its whole thing. Okay. So uh, what do they eat? In the winter, they'll eat benthic prey. Oh. Um, so, benthic was a fun word. So, benthic is like the bottom. So, it's actually mm-hmm. the lowest level of the ocean. And I was like, oh, cool. There must be like four levels of the ocean. There are a lot of there levels. There are a lot of levels. So, and
1: that's really impressive that narwhals are going all the right. way down to the bottom of the ocean to eat. They're like, might as well. Wow. Like, that's not only even colder, but it's super dark and abysmal and. I
0: imagine the water pressure is probably pretty right? intense. Do you, how, do you know how deep? So I don't, I know how deep they can go. I'm getting there. Okay. But I also want to go through all these levels of the ocean because oh. I didn't know that there were so many, so I wrote them all down. Yes. And I could have copied and pasted, and I didn't, and I turned them all out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got all these levels of the ocean. We've got the littoral zone, the intertidal zone, estuaries, kelp forests, coral forests, ocean banks, continental shelf, neritic zone, straits, pelagic zone, oceanic zone, seamounts, hydrothermal vents, cold seeps, demersal zone, and then the benthic zone. I think I should let everyone know that I was, like, grasping my chair. I was chair. just actually going to comment. Like, I wish people could have seen how you were delivering
1: that information. You were... Legitimately, like gripping the armrests of your
0: chair and bouncing up and down with everyone. The delivery was good. Thank you. I was very focused and very tired now. Um, so, basically, in the winter, they're bottom feeders and they're eating things like that uh, the group called flatfish. So, all those oh, yeah. fish that are flat that you've ever seen. Like flounder. Thank you. Yes, flounder. <laughs> and in the summer, they'll eat things more like Arctic cod and Greenland habitat. Ooh, yeah. Habitat? Hell of it. <laughs> Oh, I was so concerned about saying Greenland that I
1: messed up hell of it. When you said habitat, I was like, oh, I guess she means things that live
0: in that habitat. Because yeah. I would, you said like. Eat the, the whole the- habitat. <laughs> they eat it all. Eat all it. Anything in the Greenland area, they're going to eat they're it. They're going to eat it. That's a lie. That's why I want to <laughs> in Greenland. Mainly Arctic cod and Greenland halibut. So you asked earlier, how deep can they dive? Yes. So a male narwhal can dive up to four thousand nine hundred and twenty feet. Four thousand
1: plus feet is nearing how many miles? <gasps> okay, so that's a, that's um almost a mile. Okay, that's a lot. That is, I I struggled to run a mile. So
0: a to- narwhal
1: can can dive almost a mile deep in the ocean correct that's insane
0: right that's crazy um and they can dive for 25 minutes at a time that's a quick dive right that's a really quick dive
1: because like I'm thinking of other animal species that can hold their breaths Mm -hmm. for
0: 40 minutes yeah even longer
1: like the elephant seals and the sperm whales yeah
0: well you gotta think of like a narwhal I mean an elephant seal is probably comparable in size but like compared to a humpback that's gigantic So they're not gigantic. Right. And they're also in I don't I mean, I don't know about if the if the cold water has anything to do with uh, yeah. how long they would be able to die. I don't know, because sperm
1: whales and elephant seals are also found in very frigid waters. Yeah. So that's fascinating though to to see how animals just are capable of doing right?
0: that. Right? It's crazy. And then their average lifespan is around fifty you can live up to fifty years. Mm. And they're most often killed by oh suffocation when ice freezes over. <gasps> what? Right? Right. Really? Right. No. How do you know that? What's your source? I don't know exactly what one it was. I have oh, a lot of sources. Oh, no. This is so sad. I don't know if it's, like, it's often enough that it's something to be mentioned. Yeah. I mean, it might just be natural, like, natural causes for death, but after that, they'll often die when ice freezes over. And I was watching this, I was watching a clip from, like, an old Nat Geo documentary or something mm. like that. And it showed, like, because you've ever seen, like, the pictures of, like, their small little ice holes. Yeah, yeah. The ice can change so suddenly that they're stuck there and they can't, (gasps) they can only go 25 minutes. So if it's too far for them to go, they can't get out. And they're basically, you know, a whole herd, a whole herd, a whole pod. of Whales is stuck in this tiny circle all just, all trying to breathe. Gasping for breath. Basically. So,
1: okay, we're going to talk about their their tooth, their tusk in a moment here, but...
0: Can their tooth
1: break holes
0: in the ice? Do we know? So I don't know. So in... The science is still out? The science is still out. I mean, the science is still out in general. You'll get to to my big reveal. Right. They're still not entirely sure what the tusk is for. Right. But I don't think it's ever been documented of them using it to break ice. It's also... We'll we'll get to it, but it's super sensitive. I was just going to say, like...
1: I'm not going to go break an ice cube I, well, with my tooth.
0: Right? The thought of chewing ice I mean, cream chew, or, yeah. or
1: a Popsicle yeah, is yeah. I don't like to think about.
0: Oh. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: I I'm, We were talking and I Googled how deep an elephant seal can dive. Yeah. They can dive the exact same depth. Oh. Which is fascinating. I love mm. nature. Right? Okay. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you
0: with this. No. Yeah, you're supposed to. That's how this works. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is hear myself talk forever. But I am moving on to the tusk, so. Yeah, let's talk about it. So this tusk, I had, I labeled this in my notes, dat tusk doe. Oh. So I, dat tusk doe. It though. was late at night. <laughs> um, but so their tusk is amazing. What, I'll get to what boggles my mind soon, because there's a lot of it. So their tusk is a single long canine tooth, and it's always the left tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, like, crazy. Like, oh.
1: evolution how
0: did this happen and the thing that boggles my mind the most of how did this happen is that I always I guess I never really thought about it until I had to think about it is does their tooth just like come underneath their lip and like just out their mouth or does it go through their lip turns out through right their lip it essentially is a lifelong piercing that goes through their lip and because you'll find out in my later notes that their tooth, that the tusk is flexible, it is an open wound for their entire life. It's really weird looking. So it never heals. Mm-hmm. And I just, it boggles my mind because how could that be advantageous to right, have an open right. wound? Well, tell and us, Ashley. Tell I us. I don't know. They don't know. There's so much that's not known about these creatures because they live up in hor- in, in the Arctic in horrible conditions where the ice right. is constantly it's so changes. Where to it, study them, right? Or like sometimes they can't even survive in these horrible conditions. How right. do you expect people who are not adapted to that climate to to survive? And it's not a tiny little tusk. The tusk can be anywhere between five feet to ten feet. It's gigantic. Like how how and why right why and we still don't know why. I mean there are ideas and pictures. like yeah. and stuff and they're learning so much more and more, which is awesome. Um, it's a hollow too. Well, it's hollow. Isn't hollow? I, I believe it is. Okay. So it's it's just like our teeth,
1: you know, like if you lose a tooth and you look at it, like yeah. you can kind of see inside. Yeah.
0: It's made of the same material. The tooth is reversed. So like in our in our teeth and most I think all pretty much all other mammal teeth, the soft part is on the inside and the hard part is on the outside. So like the enamel's mm-hmm. on the outside and it's soft on the inside. And um for narwhals it's reverse. So the softer part of the tooth is on the outside. Wow. And I think it make that's why they think it's more of a sensory organ. Yeah, right there? I don't know. Something just fell off of me. Oh, oh, oh is this. Maggie's just, shedding. No, nope, It was just the wine cork. Oh, we lost the wine cork. <laughs> I got it. Um, but yeah, so these teeth this uh tusk is gigantic. They usually weigh around somewhere around twenty-two pounds. In general, it's the males that grow them. Um, but 15% of females will also grow a tusk. 15 or 50? 15%. Okay. So a very small percentage. Yeah. Uh, and what's really interesting is that 1 in 500 males will grow two tusks. So, like, can you imagine? First of all, it's crazy just to see them in general. Like, every picture you see. Yeah. The first thing, if you Google, like, narwhals, one of the first things that comes up is, are narwhals real? Like, people don't even believe they're real because they mm. look so they insane. Are, yeah. But anyway, I'm talking forever. 1 in 500 males grow two tusks. So, like, not only is it just one giant, like, they're a double unicorn. Which is insane. Like, right? what is the evolutionary purpose for that?
1: And if that's the case, like, are those males even more highly
0: desirable? Right.
1: Desirable to
0: females? In, like, thousands of I mean, years, are we going to have these two-tusked whales?
1: Well, so that's what I'm wondering. Like, if they're
0: one in 500
1: then they're still rare and yeah. they're not being selected for yeah. meaning. So... Well, you also have to think if Is it a one... recessive gene? Is it not evolutionarily good?
0: Yeah, I would think... I mean, you. Would, I guess you could say, like, you have extrasensory powers. <laughs> I don't know. I really know where the fish are. I know where all the fish are. <laughs> but also, if, like, a tusk is 22 pounds, oh, a second a tusk is going to be another 22 gonna, pounds. You're so right. I didn't so, like, think of that. So, like... I mean, there's all kinds of things... Like, Again, we don't know enough to actually know. We right. can just keep on hypothesizing, which is f- awesome. Yeah. Um. I mean, in a way, it's kind of cool to n- not know because you can make these guess, but at the same time, you're like, will we ever find out? Yeah. But then, so that's all. One in 500 males grow two tusks, but collected in 1684 is the only known case of a female growing a second tusk. 1684. 16- 1690- oh now. my gosh. Isn't that crazy? And they have a picture of it. Was she like the... Okay. Cleopatra of the whale, whale world. Right? She must I have been. that
1: three times fast. Whale world. world. Whale world. Whale
0: world. Whale, whale, whale world. world. world, world, world. Mm, I can't even say it one time fast, so that's cool. <laughs> wow. So, there's been a bunch... And then I have, like, kind of all the theories of what they think. So, one is they think that... So, males, I guess, will come together and rub tusks, and they think it might be a form of communication to communicate where they were and where they traveled. So, because, Whoa. like... They'll gain sensory information from, like, the different, like, the city of the ocean, how, yeah. so, like, the salinity and stuff like that. And then when they come together, they can communicate, this is where I went, like, this is pretty cool. And there are lots of animals that do that, like, bees will do that. Um, mm. Honeybees come back and they'll do this, like, waggle dance to be like, yeah, I was over bees. here and this is how much honey there was. Yeah. Um. That's a very loose description of it. But... It happens in the animal world, where they can be like, this is That's a cool place they to things. So they yeah. think that that might be, and previously they thought it might be aggression in the male-to-male rivalry, mm-hmm. kind of what we were talking about before, <laughs> yeah. the bigger, you know, bigger tail for a peacock kind of idea. Whoever has the bigger That's tusk is right. going to, you know, win the win female the males, over or yeah. whatever. So that's so that theory. I, I don't want to say it's debunked, but I feel like people are there. It seems like people are backing away and thinking, you know, might be something different. Mm. Um, and then this was really cool because then I found the video that they were talking about. But there was a drone video that a bunch of researchers were using um, to get more information, where they showed a male using its tusk to stun an Arctic cod and oh. then eat it. Wow! So not the stabbing that we were talking about earlier, but basically like slapping it, and so that the the cod became immobilized because right, like I just right. got hit, and then it was easier this. for them to eat. And I was like, "That's so cool!" And then later, I found the video of them stunning the Arctic cod, and like it's, it's not like you know up close and personal Blue Planet kind of deal, but it's pretty That's good video pretty awesome. where you can see him moving it and then going to eat it. And I'm like, "That's pretty amazing," because I don't think it before this video they right. they, they had any kind of yeah they didn't have any kind of thing to possible.
1: be like I'm sure at this point in evolution. It has multiple uses. Right? If you're going to have
0: cool. a 22-pound tooth hanging out the front of your face... <laughs> you better
1: know what to do with it.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last thing I have about the tusk, there's... I mean, you could literally talk about the tusk of a, of a narwhal forever, but I've been talking for a while and I still have way more. Oh my gosh. It's all right. I get to add it. So that was all my basic information that took me a very long time to get through. But, moving on. Yeah. They are... They have an... Oh, Okay. So we'll talk about kind of where they stand in terms of endangered. Yeah. Um. So an IUCN listing. The IUCN Red
1: List of Threatened Species. That's what it's referred to. It was founded in 1964, and it's just the most prestigious, comprehensive inventory of conservation status for all of the world's species.
0: Thank you. Um. So uh, their IUCN listing is near threatened. Near threatened. Near threatened. Okay. So wait. Should we I was going to say, yes. if you want to go ahead and tell me all about the different... There are
1: different levels of IUCN listings. Mm-hmm. So there are animals that are of least concern, and that's like your backyard squirrel or yeah. starlings. <laughs> They're everywhere. They're freaking everywhere. You don't They're, have to worry about them. You don't have to worry. Um, and then there is near threatened, so possible concern. Then there is vulnerable, which means if we lose any more of this creature it could become a problem and then the most common theme or label the most common label which is endangered and that is something like an elephant or a black rhinoceros um After endangered, there's critically endangered, so these animals are very near extinction. That's something like a vaquita. Most people haven't even heard of that animal because Mm -hmm. they are so rare. I think there's like 30 of them left or something like that. It's really tragic, very very sad. Um, And then after critically endangered, extinct in the wild. So that means that we only have some animals in captivity. And then after extinct in the wild is completely extinct. I'm curious... If you know more about that, because they're up in the Arctic, we don't know that much about them. Yeah.
0: Well, so um, one article I read said that, so there's around, f- their estimate is between 45,000 and 50,000 in- individuals, but is believed that that is the lowest number that they have been in history. Oh. So, um, I don't know, I probably should have found out when they were listed as near-threatened. So they are. they are some dangers, but at the same time, we don't know that much about them. So they're hard, again, they're hard to study. We don't know, but we do know that there are some threats to them. Yeah. So some of the major threats, they are hunted by Inuit people, and they're one of the things that they natively hunt. Uh, apparently, so they'll use their tusks and their skin, and their skin apparently is an important source of vitamin C, which I thought was interesting. That's interesting. Right? And, and
1: the Inuit people are native indigenous people to yes. Alaska, correct?
0: Yep. So there is some hunting. Um, I was Reading some, um, that there are some laws now that they can only take a certain amount. Uh, so they're really not, I I mean, they're not the the major problem. There's a lot of other things, um, but regulating hunting is always a good plan, especially with a growing population. Yeah. But there's not commercial hunting of them, which is good. good. There's mer- mercury and cadmium contamination? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cadmium. cadmium. Yeah. And then probably the biggest threats, which is... Common for pretty, I would say, pretty much all cetaceans, cetaceans being whales um, or really anything in the water, are industrial activities like commercial fishing, problems like big you know, commercial, big commercial fishing boats going through the water, making a ton of noise. We mentioned earlier that they do communicate with sounds, not as much as belugas, but still like any, any um, toothed whale, they're going to communicate with clicks and whistles. And if there's a big boat going through for commercial fishing or oil and gas... They can't hear anything. Yeah,
1: I've heard that referred to as noise pollution. Yes. Yeah. And
0: there's actually um, a documentary that I've been meaning to watch called Sonic Sea. Oh. I don't know, I can recommend. Check that in. I still have to okay, see okay. it. Yeah. But it talks a lot about noise pollution, which is something that is kind of new that people are talking about that, that hasn't really been talked about before, where mm-hmm. you think pollution, you think dirty water, you plastic right, in the ocean. Right. But we're still putting well, so many other things. This is
1: like um, some of the testing that seismic testing that yeah. the United States is proposing for offshore waters. It's this awful boom within the water that can not only stun, but maim and kill a lot of fish and mammal species in yeah. the water because it's such a loud, forceful noise and reverberation. But. Yeah. Um, also with shipping traffic, I'm sure you're going to get into this. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of you. No, you're doing... With, like, shipping traffic, not only noise pollution, but ship strikes, or the Arctic is warming, Mm -hmm. and more ships are floating around, that's just going to screw the whole narwhals up. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and so the next thing, the other threat I have listed, which is a threat for pretty much everything on this planet, is climate change, but in the Arctic it's going to be... You know, happening so much faster and such a huge amount. Um, and kind of like Maggie was saying that with the shipping routes, um, a lot of things that, I, I, that I've been learning is that with climate change and my ice melting in the Arctic, there's quicker ways to pass through the Arctic now with these yeah. big, huge ship, ships that used to never pass through the Arctic. So it's something that these whales haven't encountered before. And now they're like, um, oh my gosh. on my migratory route, there is a giant ship that used to not be here. And now I can't hear my baby calling and I can't get to them. You know, it's kind of that thing. And as I mentioned before, that they die from suffocation in the ice. And with climate change, much more irregular, you know, how much when this ice freezes Shifting over, ice, yeah. it shifts everywhere. I mean, look at the
1: weather that we're having in winters in the United States right now. Like one week, it'll be super warm in the mm-hmm. 70s. The next week, it'll be 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And if
0: that's happening in the Arctic, they can't anticipate where the ice is going to be yeah. anymore. But so those are their main threats. Again, they're near threats so they're definitely something you want to keep an eye on. So there is some really cool research going on, mm-hmm. um, because we don't know a lot, but we're trying to learn a lot. So there's Baffin Bay Region na- Narwhal Research. Um, so Baffin Bay, I believe, is in Canada. Some cool stuff that, that came up from their research. Um, there could also be other researchers doing similar things, but this is from what I found researching them. Um, as they found out that their tusks um, are able to flex at least one foot in each direction. Some other things from the research is that they think narwhals may use their tusks to detect temperature, water pressure, particle gradients, and motion. Wow. Right? Crazy. Basically, it's a scientific tool just on on, the on this whale. Craze. Meanwhile, we're trying to, like, figure this stuff out, and they're like, dude, I just grew it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Evolution got me, bitch.
0: Moral of the story is... Narwhals are super cool. They are. Um, That was most... I mean, there's so much more you could learn about narwhals, and hopefully we'll be learning more and more as we discover new ways to research them. But yeah, so um, narwhals are awesome, and that's my spiel on narwhals. I love narwhals. Right? They're pretty great. I mean,
1: they are pretty great just because they're such a unique animal, and if you don't appreciate how evolution created such a rare animal, Mm -hmm. you're just silly.
0: Yeah. Speaking of evolution creating rare animals with appendages on their face, (laughs) I think is a segue into, um, I believe what you're talking about. I
1: believe. The animal that I chose is a saiga, and not a lot of people have heard of them, but they are a hooved animal, so think of deer, antelope, bison um, of the family Bovidae. What makes this animal unique? With a nose that looks straight out of a Jim Henson movie. It's, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's, Jim Henson. It's, a, it's an antelope that lives on the Eurasian steppe, so that encompasses what is now Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Russia, and Mongolia. And kind of cool, this animal has been around since the age of woolly mammoths and saber toothed tigers. So, I didn't know. I mean, there's a ton I don't know about these. So, I'm so excited to learn so much. I know. If in. somebody wants to research them, Saiga is spelled S A I G A. Perfect. They are an adorable deer like species found over in Eurasia, like I said. Um, they're hard to describe, and I do recommend everyone Google them because they're yeah. freaking adorable. <laughs> Um, They have like a beige brown color coat, kind of tawny, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. They're like the same color as an antelope that you see on the African savanna, a little bit lighter than an American deer or something. And they're actually really small. They're the size of a goat. Oh! Right. Had no idea of this. I mean, when you see them in pictures, you don't yeah. have anything to compare them to. Yeah. Um. So when I read this, I actually was like, oh my God, I want to do goat yoga with them. Oh. Psych yoga would oh be the God. best.
0: I'd be so happy. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. I definitely thought of them thinking, like, thinking of them like, maybe, Deer-sized, yeah, something. or like a little smaller than a zebra or something right, like that. right. I didn't realize how tiny they were. So I think part of that is actually, like, the reason
1: that they're relatively small is because of where they live. Mm-hmm. So I said the Eurasian steppe. What does that actually mean? It's it's the vast plains of Eurasia. So uh, most of Russia, Mongolia, and the, the Stan countries. And it's, like some of the harshest weather in the world, because there's no trees, there's no, I mean, there's rolling hills, but there's no mountains. There's nothing to stop weather from just ripping Mm, through.
0: I didn't even think of that. Like, I I always knew that that area was like cold, but like, you literally have nothing to stop the wind. There's no protection. That wind comes at you, there's nothing to protect you at all. So I think that's
1: part of the reason why they're probably so small, because if they got any bigger, living there would be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, getting back to just how, how big they are, how small they are, um, they're like two and a half to three feet tall max. Oh. Like I said, the size of a goat. The males can get up to 90 pounds or 41 kilograms. The females are much smaller at about 61 pounds or 28 mm-hmm. kilograms. And their diet mostly consists of shrubs and herbs and grasses. I mean, what else are you going to find on the plains? That's true. Like, slim pickings. <laughs> um, but that said, they are very hardy animals because the weather is so extreme and harsh and, and difficult. What I, When I introduced these animals, I said they look like they're out of a Jim Henson movie. They do look like Muppets. So they have this very unique nose that looks like... It looks like two tubes coming off of their face, and it's it's honestly it's just so adorable. They look like they could just be a puppet.
0: It's crazy because they're like when you think of like I don't know at least for me when I think of like deer or antelope, you think they all look the same. They're mm. not that different, which is not true. There's definitely cool things, but yeah. like these guys are like a whole new category where there's literally nothing that has a, a nose, nose like, like this. this. I know
1: I nose. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Good one. So their noses are what make them so unique, and the babies are adorable with those big schnozes. Oh my god. But, so, okay, the nose, what purpose does that have? Why do they look different from all other deer and antelope species that we're familiar with? Um, there are multiple purposes for it, kind of similar to like you were telling us about the narwhal's tusk. We're not totally sure what it can and cannot do, but there are a lot of things we're pretty sure it does. So, for example, they can smell food, like, several kilometers away, um, but it also serves as a filter. Like, all of our noses serve as filters. That's yeah. why you have nose hairs, right? Mm-hmm. It filters out the the dirt and debris that shouldn't be going into your lungs. But on the vast plains and in these massive herds of saiga, there's a shit ton of dust that gets kicked <laughs> ah. up.
0: And I so, can only
1: imagine. And so evolution has prepared them for like, oh, that's a lot of dirt and yeah. stuff. So it it filters out a lot of the dirt and keeps their airway clean. But then also, getting back to that crazy weather, it warms the air before it goes into their lungs. Because like arguably, the Eurasian steppe can have some of the coldest wind chills uh-huh. on the planet. You know, I think we've all... Been in a situation where the cold or the wind takes your breath away. Yeah, and they have evolved so that that doesn't happen. Right. Which
0: is kind of impressive. Hopefully, something else takes their breath away.
1: <sighs> like,
0: like, oh,
1: these noses and their horns mm-hmm. are used to attract mates. Okay. Um. So with mating, males will like defend or represent a harem of thirty females. Mm-hmm. During mating and breeding season, when the mothers are actually giving birth, they will join together in massive hundreds of thousands of herds together.
0: Holy moly.
1: Which is pretty cool. That's insane. Um, Mating occurs in December and gestation is like four and a half to five months. Oh. um, Which, this gets kind of cool. So. Because up to now they've been pretty lame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no tell. We said they're very exposed in these planes, right? So they are susceptible to predators mm-hmm. like wolves, foxes, eagles. Mm, eagles? Well, the eagles like the calves. Oh. And this is why they will give birth in these massive hundreds of thousands mm. because it gives an increased chance of survival to each individual. Makes sense. Um, but proportionally... When these guys give birth, it's one of the largest um, calves of out of all the undulates. So, like, their calf will be born, like, f- almost fully developed and rather large. It won't be so much a calf yeah. as, like, giving birth to a teenager. And that's because... In these vast plains, they are so exposed. They need to be able to.
0: I'm mm. born. I need to
1: Wrong. run away. You
0: can't do any of that dear cuteness where like I kind of fall yeah. over my legs. I need to be able to. I need out to be here. able to get the fuck out,
1: <laughs> which is hilarious. But also, hey, evolution, right? Fucking cool. Like
0: mm, we we're making these kind of half done, and they were not surviving. Yeah, that's kind of like fully bake them before they get out. So they're up and running in like
1: no time, which is quite impressive. So these animals are are wonderful, but the reason that a lot of people like you, Ashley, are starting to hear about them is because they are critically endangered, Mm. and that means that they are very near extinction. And in the news lately, they've been a central feature of a lot of conservation stories because there have been these mass die-offs that haven't been explained. Like we, we, as humans, as scientists, have had no idea why, in 2015, 200,000 Saiga died in one event. That is insanity. 200,000. And today, in 2018, there's an estimated 100,000 left on the planet. That's crazy. So uh, what's happening? Yeah. And there has been a lot of research, and unfortunately this points back to climate change. Mm. It has been cited as, quote-unquote, the first concrete evidence of how a changing climate will affect species in mass. Wow. And it's it's awful because scientists have concluded, this is um, research from National Geographic, that scientists have concluded that the Saiga In 2015, the 200,000 of them uh, were killed by um, hemorrhagic septicemia, or fatal blood poisoning, which was caused by Pastorella multocida. It's a type B bacteria. Now...
0: I'd like to congratulate you on how well you are doing at pronouncing these things. So... Where I struggled to say halibut. Just wanted to point that out. What I want to
1: point out is that I'm a writer, you're a filmmaker. This is true. I wrote out how to pronounce these things for myself.
0: I will do that next time. But the fact that I can't write out halibut, I should just none that. Oh my gosh. But anyway. So... Very well done. Um,
1: This bacteria occurs naturally in in these animals Uh and particularly in their noses getting back to their noses Mm -hmm. um we all are familiar with all of us having bacteria in our bodies Mm -hmm. like some of these help us live with this bacteria um it becomes almost invasive and fatal in this instance in increasing humidity
0: Oh and
1: that's what unfortunately we're seeing over in Eurasia with a, with climate change. So um the changing temperatures are making this ba- bacteria kind of evolve itself. I mean, think about it. This whole planet is living, breathing organisms mm-hmm. from the smallest bacteria to the biggest elephant. Yeah. And this bacteria too is evolving in times of climate change. It's adap- it's adapting. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, it has poisoned so many of That's these animals. Crazy. And what kind of made this a little bit more catastrophic and noticeable when this happened was that it happened right when a lot of mothers were giving birth. And that's because they were all around each other. They were all sharing bacteria. Yeah. They were. They're probably they're breathing more if you're giving birth. Right. Assuming you're and I mean, think about it. When you're giving birth, your body is at absolute exhaustion, yeah. so you are more susceptible to any kind of illness. Mm-hmm. So um, that is what is presumed to have happened with this mass die off a couple of years ago, and it's it's terribly tragic. Yeah. And on top of that the Saiga are also facing uh, poaching by Russians Mm. predominantly. I'm sure it's happening in other countries as well, but that's what's been documented in the news. And poaching for their horns, similar to the narwhal's tusk. They look really beautiful and unique. So they're being poached and their horns are being used in trinkets and things that don't belong on your shelf but belong on the Saiga. Yeah. So, uh, these animal, animals, as I mentioned, are critically endangered, and it's it's very sad. But if you want to do something about this, once you look them up, you're going to fall in love with them.
0: I guarantee 100%. it. A hundred percent. Especially keeping in mind that they're the size of a goat. They're the size of just a goat. Just remember that. Oh, my God. Ugh. Like, I could just put it in my backpack.
1: Right? Just run away with it. If you look up the Saiga and you fall in love with them like I did and you want to help them out, there's a really cool organization called the Saiga Conservation Alliance. They're based in the UK and they work with women in local and indigenous communities in Uzbekistan to help them make a living for themselves. And you can purchase items like an embroidered wallet or gift bag or something. Um, And that money will go to Saiga Conservation Projects over in the Eurasian Steppe. Um, you can also buy um, you can adopt a Saiga you Mm -hmm. know that kind of thing that we have over here in the states so it's really cool they're doing great work there's a book out there it's called Life is Good by Jeremy Hance and he is an awesome guy we've talked over Twitter before I don't know if he knows how much I admire him Mm -hmm. as a writer and journalist but he has written this book it's called Life is Good and it's Kind of like an anthology. It's a series of essays on this age of mass extinction that uh-huh. we're really on the precipice of. And though he doesn't mention the Saiga in this book, I highly recommend it because it talks about what could happen if we aren't careful and if we don't try to reverse the effects of climate change right now. And I know I've taken this this you know happy blah, uh, happy podcast kind of downturn, but. You know, we want to educate people. Yeah. And, and give you... them those resources that they can reach yeah, out to to yeah. kind of learn and more. And I think when and... you read about it and learn about it, you feel a little bit more empowered rather yeah. than it being some kind of existential problem. Mm-hmm. And if you look up a narwhal and a saiga, you're like, what? Nature's so cool. Right? So you might want to be more inclined to, to learn more 100%. and help them. Oh, The saiga was recently featured in Planet Earth 2.
0: Mm, yes,
1: so you might remember it from that. Go oh my ahead god, and look at stare. Photo.
0: Their eyes are gigantic. That's why they, they look like a muppet. They like stare into your soul. Yes. It's amazing. Oh my god, so cute. So it like, is on my bucket list to see them in the wild oh, before they be die. Crazy. Before they die, right? Oh that was sad, but true.
1: Again, I you know it's worth repeating this. This species is the first concrete evidence of how a change in climate will affect species yeah. in mass.
0: And was it, 200,000? 200, 200,000. And there's only th- 100,000
1: left. And only 100,000 are left. So in that's
0: two thirds of the population just gone. Gone
1: because of climate change. That's insanity. And they couldn't even fight it. Can you imagine if 200,000 people just died? Like, oh, then we would care. Then we would do something right? About it. Right? I'm sorry, I'm getting preachy.
0: No, it's no, but it's totally true because we, we like again, I didn't even know about these creatures until it was that they were in these mass die offs, mm-hmm. and that should not be the way we're learning about our natural world. We should be Absolutely. learning about our natural world because it's cool and it's awesome, and we're only one of millions of species that inhabit it. And I don't know, to me, we're not even the coolest one. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have a giant tooth or a nose that warms air for me so I could run like Yeah, I know. There's I just know. so many things that we need to learn and discover and hopefully we'll I, help do that a little I, bit. I, We mentioned we're going to do what we call our mermaid's purse, where from a bunch of different animals that we have uh, different weird names or that we've never heard of or just... Can you describe what a mermaid's purse is? Oh, yes, I can. (laughs) Um, So a mermaid's purse is um, a name that's given to um, like shark or ray um, egg casings. So if you've ever been walking around the beach and you see they're usually like these black kind of rectangles with like points at the end. Um, and if you pick them up when they're dry and shake them, they, they like, rattle, mm-hmm. those are mermaids' purses. Um, so, yeah, another name for a um, shark or ray egg case. Um, but for us, it is our segment in which we'll talk about a random animal.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, like, our grab bag that we close out every episode with. Yeah. Our mermaids' purse. We're going to grab into the mermaids' purse, get a wacky animal that neither of us have probably heard of. And
0: just, like, talk about it on the fly. All right, ready? Yeah. Here we go. It is... Oh, yes! What is it? It's a mantis shrimp. Yes! Yes! Is the best one. The mantis shrimp. I just wrote a blog
1: post about these oh, for work. Oh,
0: my goodness. <laughs> so,
1: oh. okay. Um, The mantis shrimp... Is neither mantis nor shrimp. It is incredible. It might be the coolest animal. It is so cool. Um, Imagine that somebody hands you a mussel fresh out of the ocean or a clam or an oyster and it's closed. It's fresh out of the uh, oven. It's fresh
0: out of the oven. (laughs) Right? Like a baked good. Oh my God.
1: It's fresh out of the ocean. Imagine somebody hands you a mussel or a clam or an oyster fresh out of the ocean. But they don't give you any tools to open it with. Well, imagine that you could just thrust your energy at it, and it would open. That's how I try to open everything. in never Now, works. imagine you could do that underwater. That is the mantis oh shrimp. Oh, God.
0: So, this animal is freaking amazing. They're just these crazy creatures, and they're totally those things that you think, like, when you think of, like... They're not. They're not a deep sea creature. They're just an ocean creature. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty of you know deep sea creatures that are these crazy things that like seem out of a science fiction novel. Yeah. And these are those things, but like so much cooler. So what
1: I love about these animals, um, they are pretty tiny. Um, they live in coral reefs, and they're very um, colorful. They're mm-hmm. bright and um, are they like
0: iridescent like yes very
1: shiny very shiny very brightly colored um they're actually super aggressive animals and as I mentioned they just have the power to like unleash such force they can break the sound barrier with their with their force so they they essentially they smash their dinner um with a club like front claw um and it moves at an acceleration ten thousand times greater than gravity.
0: That is and crazy through,
1: through water, which is clearly denser than yeah. air. That's roughly eighty kilometers per hour.
0: Holy moly!
1: And so, um, like for the unsuspecting victim, this comes in the form of boiling water, flashes of light. And destructive bubbles.
0: So basically, they would be perfect for horror film. Oh, absolutely! Can you imagine huh. if they were if they were large? Like that would be like you see all those things where like they're like giant bugs that attack. So you're like giant spiders. Yeah. A giant um, mantis shrimp like gi- comes out of the ocean. It would kill us all. We would be dead in seconds. Yes. So. Well, and isn't it? They're so powerful that they can't be kept in like captivity. Like it was hard. To, it's hard to study them because they can break glass. Right. Like, a so second. there is one. At
1: the Monterey Bay Aquarium right now that I'm aware of. And it's in, like, I think eight inches thick of glass. I might have made that up. But it's something obscene. It's something ridiculous. That's insane. Um, One scientist actually wanted to feel the force Oh, God. So he put on six layers of gloves. And he said it still hurt like hell. Can you imagine that? That's how strong this animal is. That's...
0: That's crazy. Like, I'm trying to type
1: really quietly. <laughs> um,
0: It's also cool. So
1: besides how strong they are, like, they are arguably one of the strongest animals in the animal kingdom. Um, They can also see um, in, like, the color spectrum so many
0: different colors than we can. Yeah, that was one thing that – so I was looking up the oatmeal article that I remember yeah. reading – so, like, dogs see have two color receptive cones. They have green and blue. Mm-hmm. Humans have green, blue, and red. And so, mm-hmm. from that, we get additional colors. Butterflies have five color receptives. So, they have our the blue, green, and red, and then two others mm-hmm. colors that we don't know of. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to mantis shrimp, they have 16 color receptive mm-hmm. cones. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm reading this pretty much straight from the oatmeal article, which is really great and really awesomely um, drawn. But, like, just think that, We think, like, you think of the world that you see, and you see all of these colors, and you're like, this is amazing. Imagine that there are 13 other colors that then create exponentially amount of other colors that we don't even see. I know. Like, my blotchy skin would probably
1: just look
0: amazing right now. (laughs) (laughs) What do I look like with 13 more color receptive cones? I know. I'm pretty sure. So my my one of my older sisters is a biology teacher. Um, and uh, <clears throat> for Halloween one year she dressed up as a mantis shrimp. So she was so colorful. <gasps> That's so cool. Um, I'll have to. I'll have cool to. I think I've seen a picture of it. But yeah, I'm glad mantis shrimp was the first That's one. So cool. My mermaid's purse. Oh my god. Oh.
1: Well, this was an awesome amount of time. Yeah. And this was an awesome time talking about animals. 100%. Some of our favorite animals, especially as like our kickoff first episode. Yeah. But as a reminder to all our listeners, please don't cite us in any of your research papers. Do not.
0: But um, I would say this is pretty successful.
1: I would say this is great. I do think um, when we put these all together, we should actually have a little scripted and signed off. Like we should. Like please don't forget, don't cite us. We're not the real deal. We're not scientists, but we are storytellers, and we hope you enjoyed our stories about these amazing animals. Something like that.
0: That was beautiful. Should we do an actual one? <laughs> <laughs> or for now, we'll leave it like that. Off the cuff. And like maybe eventually we'll we get to cups. something, but that was pretty. You're not wearing cuffs. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this. I can't believe I brought a stuffed animal
1: narwhal with me on the metro. I, also, I do want to point out I have a stuffed Saiga. <laughs> and you didn't bring it? It's at my parents' house. What the hell, Maggie? <laughs> like, isn't it amazing? I have stuffed animals of the two animals we chose. That is
0: amazing because they're not. Like, They're not fucking common. No. <laughs> no. No. Oh, my God. This is why I'm single. That's the whole thing. People suck. Oh, my God. Animals are cooler. But, no, yeah. I think it's pretty, it's gone pretty well. Yeah, I think now so. Now I think we're just talking. I think we've ended it. Thanks for
1: joining us at the water hole. Don't forget to join us next time when we discover some new animals and we're going to learn all about the threats they face and how you can help. All right, try it again, but say the watering hole. What did I say? You said the water hole? Fuck! <laughs> Thanks for joining us and tune in next time to the watering hole when we check out some more cool animals and learn all about their biology and what threats they face and how you can help. That was beautiful. Thank you.